Hello and welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Robbie. Seb is still currently on Celebrities Dancing on Ice, and so today I am manning the ship. Today's destination is Potter's Bluff, as we discussed a film which is not quite a video nasty, and that's 1981's Dead and Buried. There will be full spoilers for the film, so if you haven't watched it yet, I'd highly recommend checking it out and then listening to the episode. But first, I'd like to speak directly to you. Yes, you, listening to this podcast. Are you sure you've hit the subscribe button? If you haven't, have a quick check and hit the subscribe button. And if you could leave us a lovely review, it really helps the show grow. Now getting into Dead and Buried, which was directed by Gary Sherman, who had already directed Deathline and would go on to direct Poltergeist 3, and written by Ronald Shushet and Dan O'Bannon, who had written Alien a couple of years prior. Dead and Buried is a strange concoction of genre ideas, and for me is a real treat. Long-time listeners may remember I spoke about a particular scene for our in-memoriam Scariest Deaths in Horror. That's a cheap plug, go and check it out if you haven't. So I thought I'd take this time to discuss the film a bit more in deeper depth. The opening of the film is reminiscent of English folk horror from the late 60s and early 70s. We open on a street in a coastal town which could be anywhere from New England to Devon or Cornwall. A foreboding piano track followed by string sections begin as the picture comes into colour and we start to get shots of the beach. And this is where we find our first character who is a photographer. He's taking pictures of the views and the local wildlife when he notices a woman who kind of resembles Margot Robbie watching him. The pair start to flirt, as you would if you met a woman who looks like Margot Robbie, and eventually the woman propositions are piping. The whole thing feels like something that you would scroll onto at 1am in a cheap hotel and have to awkwardly pay for when you check out the next morning. And we even get a saxophone crooning away in the background when suddenly a bunch of locals emerge and start beating the photographer to a pulp. He's then tied up in a fishing net before a waitress sets him on fire. And whilst all of this is happening, some of the locals are taking photographs of the act. It's both genuinely a deeply disturbing and a gripping opening. And it sets the tone for what could feel like a small town folk horror story. We're then quickly introduced to our main character, Sheriff Dan Gillis, played by James Farantino, as he investigates the photographer's car which has been found burning by the side of the road, with him in it, implying that it, you know this was just a tragic accident. The scene also introduces us to a pre-Nightmare on Elm Street Robert England, and by 1981 Robert England had already started to appear in a few low-budget horrors such as Slash Nightmares and Toe Hooper's Eaten Alive, and it's quite cool to see England before he became this kind of horror icon in Freddy Krueger. In this scene we also get a pretty good jump scare as we find out that the photographer is not actually dead uh, as Sheriff Dan attempts to check on him and he comes shrieking to life with his one eye open. We then see a scene at a local diner where we get another hook to draw you in. As Sheriff Dan and Robert England are at the diner, Sheriff Dan reveals that the photographer is actually still alive. We then see that the waitress who's been serving them is the same waitress who set the photographer on fire. Dead and Buried does a great job of doing this throughout its runtime, and Potter's Bluff does actually feel like a real place. Throughout the film, we're drip-fed people who are in on the killings, often seeing them commit murder in one scene, and then seeing them go about their normal life in the very next. Dead and Buried does a great job of creating paranoia about who is in on the killings and who knows more than they're letting on. From the waitress to the school principal, you're never quite sure who to actually trust, and it's something that I really like about the film. 
The first actual death of the film features a homeless alcoholic on the docks. You know, he's stumbling along and he's talking to himself about his boating expertise. And as he slumps against a chair, he notices that people are watching him and his picture starts getting taken. Before somebody bursts through the boating house, he's slumped against and holds him down. He's then brutalised in the face with a harpoon. It's another scene which has some great tension. When the dude bursts through the door grabbing him, it kind of really got me off guard. And it has some pretty good looking effects in there. The first major hint at what's going on comes in the next scene where Sheriff Dan goes to see the town mortician Dr. Dobbs, who's played by Jack Albertson, who unfortunately passed away of cancer shortly before the film received its theatrical release. Dr. Dobbs talks about the work he does as a mortician and how it's an artwork and how his job is to make people look real after they've died. Dr. Dobbs talks about making eyes from sawdust and other ways in which we can reconstruct organs or cover damage up. And whilst watching this, you're kind of like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to play into the story. Uh, some time passes and, you know, we see Sheriff Dan meets the hotel owner who has the worst receding hairline I've seen since George Costanza. No disrespect to Jason Alexander, you're my boy. But if your hairline's like that, come on, man, just get shaven it off. Uh, but he goes out to the hotel to check out the photographer's hotel. The hotel owner tells Dan to ask his wife Janet, who's played by Melanie Anderson of Flash Gordon fame, uh, as the two know each other. But when Sheriff Dan asks his wife Janet, she says that he was just, you know, coming into town to sell equipment to the school she teaches at. And it feels like a throwaway scene that's actually quite nicely played in later. The photographer is actually our second death, so we think he dies at the start, but then shortly after we find out he's still alive. Um, and as previously mentioned in our Scariest Deaths in Horror episode, it's a pretty terrifying and gruesome death. As Sheriff Dan goes to visit the photographer at the hospital, he's revealed to be in a full body cast, he's unable to move or communicate, and the only thing that he has exposed is this one eye. And as Sheriff Dan and the doctor sit in the hall talking, we see a beautifully shot scene as we can see a nurse walking down the hall behind them, and then she goes into the photographer's room. It's then revealed that that nurse is Margot Robbie's lookalike from the beach, and she greets the photographer, who obviously prangs out and starts trying to, you know, trying to communicate and starts trying to escape, but he can't, he can just look with this one eye. Margot Robbie then gets a large needle out and stabs him for the eye and ejects him with some strange kind of liquid before walking out and escaping. It's a wince-inducing scene and it cuts off just at the right time for it to kind of be burned into your memory without lingering too long and feeling gratuitous. After a short scene of Sheriff Dan and Janet, we see a family who are clearly lost arriving late at night in Potter's Bluff. They go into the diner from the start of the film to ask for directions and it's here that we get another great twist. So the waitress asks the man to take the family to get some petrol and it turns around to reveal to the audience that that is actually the photographer, no longer burnt to a crisp with a needle in his eye and now going under the name Freddy. Later on in the film we see the hotel owner call Sheriff Dan, tell him that he saw the photographer pumping gas and after a short time Sheriff Dan and Janet go and they get gas pumped by the photographer and Janet doesn't react to seeing the photographer at all which is a really good clue for observant watchers that Janet's actually in on what's happening from the start. I mean obviously as the wife of a sheriff in a small town she's got a beard on her. Going back to the family, they then drive off into the night into a large amount of fog before crashing the car and the son bangs his head. They see a light on in a nearby house and they decide to go there and ask for help only to find out that the house is abandoned. And as the family work their way through the house arguing there were some great shots with the family placed in the centre of the screen to draw the viewer's eyes there and just on the edge of the shots you can see these shadows of these town folks as they move around the house. 
They're then surrounded in the house by a mob and have to run upstairs to find a way to escape. It's all very Resident Evil 4, you know, when you first enter the village, and I was half expected Dr. Salvador to show up, chainsaw in hand. But the family later escape and appear to drive out of Potter's Bluff, but a later scene shows Robert England uh, towing the car out of the ocean with the family nowhere to be seen. There's also a great clue in this scene when the father's kind of fighting off this horde of them and he pulls off a, a, a pursuer's scalp. It's, it's quite a nice little nod when you watch it back. The first time I didn't notice, but watching it back, I definitely picked up on this. We also see Sheriff Dan hit someone with his car the same night. However, when he goes to look, he just sees an arm that's attached to his bumper and it's still wriggling. The person behind him gets up, hits Sheriff Dan and grabs the arm off the bumper before escaping off into the night. Sheriff Dan then scrapes some of the skin off and drops it off at a lab to get it checked out. Well, back at his house, the sheriff starts to get a bad feeling that shit is going down in Potter's Bluff. So he starts looking for the shoddy shells. Um, and as he's looking through Janet's drawer, he finds a book about witchcraft, with a part about those who die by violent death being able to be reanimated as zombies. Dad also finds a knife with this book and naturally confronts his wife. She says it's for a project with her students, and we later see Dan watching this lesson. And we get like a big info dump about how zombies are created, how they're controlled, and how if somebody, somebody keeps the heart of somebody who died by a violent death, they can become the master of the zombies. And Jada also gives Dan a role of film to get developed, as her students have been working on making films for their summer projects. The sixth death follows a young woman hitchhiker who was picked up just outside of Potter's Bluff. The car driver was then revealed to be the homeless man who got fucked up with the harpoon earlier in the film, but his face is all beautiful now, and the hitchhiker gets her head caved in with a rock off screen. But we do see the aftermath, as the next scene, the hitchhiker is dead on the mortician's table we see dr dobbs strip away her flesh and start reconstructing her from scratch i don't know if that's like a common practice but he dies but i hope it isn't and as dr dobbs leaves the room another woman is seen inside the morgue and walks up to the hitchhiker who then awakens on the table a scientist who is researching the samples finds something off with them. It's later revealed that the skin samples are from flesh that is three to four months old. Um, however, when he goes to ring the sheriff and let him know this, he's held down by a mob who insert tubes up his nose and use acid to melt his face. So the special effects for Dead and Buried were created by Stan Winston, who would obviously later go on to do other great 80s films such as The Terminator, The Thing. I think he won an Oscar for Predator, maybe an Oscar or Golden Globe. I don't know if the two are the same. I never really know of um, i never really care about those kind of awards um and then obviously he still did a wealth of special effects until his death in i think 2008 and i would say that this was early in stan's career as a special effects artist this one scene in particular doesn't really look all that impressive the rest of the effects in the film were pretty good especially the needle in the eye but this death just feels a little off Sometime around this, Sheriff Dan goes to collect the film that his wife wanted to, to develop, and when Dan leaves, we see that the clerk's hands are all cracked. Dr. Dobbs then calls Sheriff Dan to inform him that the hitchhiker has gone missing. He casually drops that he has an apprentice who helps him, and Sheriff Dan and Dr. Dobbs discuss Janet. Dr. Dobbs tells Sheriff Dan that they've already spoken, and he was offended that she thought he would know anything about the dark arts, just because he works with dead bodies. Dr. Dobbs considers himself an artist, and this sets up a little red herring that maybe Dr. Dobbs isn't behind it, and maybe Janet is the one to blame. While Sheriff Dan is skulking around his home, he finds some mortician's paint. He then orders the photographer's body to be dug up, and after opening the coffin, finds that there's a heart inside. We also see Dr. Dobbs sleeping in a cold storage space for bodies, and find out via the weirdest looking fax machine that Dr. Dobbs has previously been fired from other jobs due to meddling with corpses. 
Dan then storms into the morgue to confront Dr. Dobbs, who shows all of the murders we've seen throughout the film as they were recorded by the mob, and Dr. Dobbs begins to call the zombies his children. Janet then approaches and shows no reaction to what is going on, instead just talking about what to cook him for dinner. We then see a reel that Dan had developed earlier in the film, which shows a Texas Chainsaw-style house with a man and a woman in a bed having sex, and then the townsfolk start gathering around to watch. The woman is then revealed to be Janet, she then stabs the man who's doing the piping. Um, Dr. Dobbs starts talking about how Janet was the first of his children and that she had died in an accident and that he'd always liked Sheriff Dad and Janet and so decided to reanimate Janet and to remove all of her fears and worries. Dan then approaches Janet and touches her face, causing the wax used to reconstruct her to crack and then just like Frank Reynolds, Dan starts blasting, um, shooting Janet to no avail before eventually she realises she is dead. Dan then turns the gun on Dr. Dobbs and shoots him before giving chase to Janet. Whilst Dan is gone, Dr. Dobbs injects himself with it, it looks like formaldehyde and starts to kind of turn himself into a zombie. Janet climbs into the photographer's grave and unable to cope with being undead, starts begging Dan to bury her, which obviously he obliges with. The town then start to come and pay tribute to Janet at her grave, all showing themselves to be zombies with their hands and faces all cracked like the clerk earlier. As they surround Dan, he manages to escape and goes back to confront Dr. Dobbs. As Dan enters the morgue, we then see footage of the reel again. As Janet stabs the man, she turns his body to the camera to reveal that it's actually Dan that she killed. Dan covers his eyes and starts screaming at the revelation of this. And as he lowers his hands, his hands are revealed to have the same cracks as the rest of the town folk in the graveyard. Dr. Dobbs is then overheard saying, Come Dan, let me fix those for you, before the film finally and dramatically ends. So Dead and Buried is an interesting film. It feels more in spirit with something along the lines of Wicker Man or The Devil Rides Out within its opening act. You got a small town, you got a mob of townsfolk killing anyone they perceive to be an outsider, and as the film develops it starts to form into an older style zombie movie. By 1981, we already had both Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, as well as The Crazies, Rabid, and countless other Italian and Spanish interpretation of zombie films, and things had started to move away from the idea of zombies being slaves to their voodoo or black magic wielding masters, and more towards these kind of mindless killing machines that we kind of get these days. So the inclusion of this within Dead and Buried, it does make it stand out a little bit, but it also, at times, kind of slightly makes the film feel slightly dated when you compare it to what was going on within zombie films. Dead and Buried wasn't successful at the box office. I found online it had somewhere around a $3 million budget, but when you watch it, $3 million does seem kind of high. The film only made about $216,000 at the box office, and it had a November 1981 release date. The film opened only a couple of weeks after Halloween 2, The Pit, and Galaxy of Terror, so I'm not sure if those films were the ones that drove people to watch them, as opposed to Dead and Buried. The trailer does ham up that it's from the creators of Alien, but it gives away a lot of the kills, the twist, and even the ending, so I can understand why people might not want to check out a film that doesn't really have any intrigue to it. I also feel it may be one of those films that could be quite divisive. For those who want a large body count and constant killings, it might be a bit too slow-paced and plot-focused, and for those who expect a slow burn folk horror from the opening of the film, they might be put off by the slasher elements and the gore to it. Now I mentioned that the film is not quite a video nasty, and apparently it was originally added to the list of video nasties in the UK, and it did have a couple of seconds cut from it, mostly the scene where the needle stuck into the photographer's eye and where he set on fire, but I found contradicting sources about whether it was a video nasty or not. Neither IMDB or Wikipedia have it listed, 
And Dead and Buried's own Wikipedia page listed that it was actually taken off the list of video nasties. But I found that, um, an article by rock culture writer Stephen Stark, which did mention video nasties, and he included Dead and Buried. Overall, I have a massive soft spot for Dead and Buried. There's so much to love about it, from the British folk feeling, the paranoia-inducing small-town setting, and there's some good tension-filled set pieces and kills, but it's far from a perfect film. I find that the film starts to lose some steam towards the third act, and the ending of the film doesn't really make sense when you start to dig a little bit deeper. If Dad had been undead all this time, then why was he not like the rest of the zombies or the undead? And why wasn't he part of the Horde? Why would Dr. Dobbs remove Janet's fear and worries but not do that to Dad? And what are Dr. Dobbs' actual motivations beyond just creating art? But if you can look past the flaws of the film, then you'll find that there is actually a hidden gem there. So that's it for our trip to Potter's Bluff. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, then please make sure to hit the subscribe button and please leave us a lovely review. Come and let us know what you thought of Dead and Buried over on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at CMTH Podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye bye.